one of the things he spoke to me. And um, I believe in the supernatural. I believe the Lord speaks to people prophetically. I believe that, and we'll, we'll, we'll develop that in the next couple of weeks. I'll give you a good scriptural basis for why you ought to believe it as well. Um, but, but the reason we're there is because the Lord prevailed upon my heart and said, this is something that needs to mark the way that the church is led. So although it was to me, I think it's going to affect all of us. That's why we're there. Jehoshaphat is the, is, is the king here. Now, um, this is just at the point after the nation or the children of Israel have had their civil war, the civil war is broken out, and there's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And if you're like me and you read in First and Second Chronicles and Samuel and Kings, First and Second Kings, it's confusing to f- keep straight who's where, what they represent. So the Northern Kingdom, there's about there were about twenty or there was about approximately, no sense of getting overly technical. There was about twenty or so kings in both of the kingdoms over the the years that they reigned. And in the Northern Kingdom, there was never a king that was not evil. They were all evil in the northern kingdom. And in the southern kingdom, out of about 19 or so, I think about eight good ones, and the rest were bad. So we're not doing too well um, in terms of the government at that point. And um, when I say they weren't doing well, I'm talking spiritually. They may have had times of plenty, but spiritually the place was in real trouble. And so Jehoshaphat, though, happened to be one of the good ones. He was good because he didn't have the people worshiping the Baals and the Asterisks. He, he worshiped the Lord God. And he was a smart guy. They were having a civil war with the, with, the, with the nation to the north, and that was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. The northern kingdom was called Israel. And they were having civil war. Jehoshaphat was the king of the southern ki- uh, kingdom, and he thought, let's see if we can't fix this. So he decides to somehow strike up some sort of a, um, an alliance with, with Ahab, who happened to the king at that time in the north. Now, Ahab was not a good man. Ahab was married to a woman named Jezebel. You've probably heard that name. You may not know Jezebel's history, but even, even today in society, the name Jezebel doesn't sound all like that. There's something about it you know there's something wrong there. Jezebel's father was a man named Ethbaal. That means priest of Baal. And he was from a neighboring country. And Ahab married her. It was for political reasons. He tried to make peace with the nation next door by marrying this daughter, and Jezebel brought with her the desire to, um, to, to uh, spread Baal. And so she, had, she brought with her some hundreds of prophets of Baal. And she did a lot of nasty stuff. She did a lot of things that were not too good. And um, one of them was this. Uh, she, her husband, who was the king, Ahab, wanted a vineyard that was right next to the palace. He wanted it pretty bad. He goes and he talks to the owner. And the owner says, sorry, this has been my family's land for generation after generation. I'm not. I'm not giving it to you. I'm not selling it. King goes back. He's pouting. And Jezebel says, why are you pouting? Is it okay with you if I paraphrase like this? Because this is how the story goes. Okay, so he's pouting. Jezebel says, why are you pouting? Well, he won't sell me his land. Oh, she says, I'll take care of this. You go about your business. So the king says, fine. I guess if you're going to take care of it, and I don't know about it, I'm not responsible. You should chuckle. (laughs) It doesn't work. And uh, so... She decides to set the guy up, and she basically frames him for blasphemy, and the elders of the city take the owner of the land outside the city, and they stone him to death. They kill him. She goes back says, hey, land's available. He goes, and he's he's physically standing, taking possession of the land. And there's this guy who comes along named Elijah. You know who Elijah is. He's one of the heroes of the story. Um, for today, Jehoshaphat's going to be our hero, but we're going to have a couple heroes come in. So Elisha 
comes to him and he says, this is 1 Kings uh, 21, uh, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. Naboth was the guy that owned the land. So, I mean, sorry to be graphic and gory, but that's what the word says. I know some of you are going, yeah, we like a little action in our sermons, so dogs licking blood is good. So, um, so he says he's condemned, and in fact, Elisha is so specific in the condemnation, he says, dogs are going to lick your blood. That's pretty amazing. You know, it's one thing when someone has a prophetic word and they say, oh, the Lord will carry you through. And I don't deny those kinds of things. But something as specific as saying, you're going to die and dogs will look at you. I mean, you will know whether or not that was the Lord speaking because it will either happen or it will not. So remember this moment. We're going to come back to it a little bit later. Anyway, so Ahab and Jehoshaphat get into an alliance. And Ahab's now in trouble with some of his neighbors. And they're going to go to war. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an area called Ramoth Gilead. And uh, he says to Jehoshaphat, how about coming with me? Jehoshaphat says, my men are your men. Whatever you say, we'll do it together. So off they go to war. But before they go, they, th- they think, wait a minute. Smart thing for us to do is ask the prophets and see what they have to say. So Ahab calls his prophets. 400 prophets of Baal. And they come to him. And what do you think they would tell this guy? What do you think the king would want to hear? Here's a king. He knows he's going to go to war with his neighbors. Here's how it worked. If you lost this kind of a war and you were the king, you were likely killed. And your sons and your wives and all of your stuff was carried. I mean, it's a bad deal to lose a war. It's not like losing a football game. There's no next Sunday. So he wants to win and he wants to hear from his prophets that he's going to win. And the prophets of Baal, in spite of the fact that they don't have a, they're not tapped into a real source of reliable information, they don't want to tell this guy the truth. They don't want to say, um, we don't know, God is silent on this. They, they tell him what he wants to hear. 400 of them because they're afraid to tell him the truth. I think Ahab refused to hear. He didn't want to hear the truth. That's why he asked someone who would tell him what he wanted to hear. Here's the problem with that. You know, it's not possible for any person to generate enough force of will that you can turn darkness into light. None of you can do this. You cannot, with your force of will or persuasive personality or your money or your friendships or your relationships, turn something that isn't true into something that is true. You just can't do it. 400 prophets don't do it for you. Money doesn't do it for you. Friendships don't do it for you. An iPhone won't do it for you. None of that stuff will do it for you. And I read this and I thought, okay, how have I done with fostering an environment around me that would let people who view me as an authority figure tell me the truth? How have I done with letting people around me who maybe my decisions affect their paychecks or their their perceived happiness, how have I done with fostering an environment that lets them tell me no? Not only, you know, I don't want to just, just pick on Ahab here, but I wonder why these prophets, none of them had the courage to, um, to man up, if you will, and say, 
Can I say man up here? Is that all right? <laughs> okay, good. Um, none of them had the courage, but I asked the question of Terry. And I want to say this to you, church. You know, um, as I lead this, there are over 100 different opinions here probably about how a church ought to be led. I'll bet you most of us are in, in really in good cadence on the major issues, but I'll bet you there are some different opinions involved. And I would love to please everyone, but I feel like um, at the end of the day, I need to please Jesus. That doesn't mean, though, that I don't want to be held accountable or submitted to you. And the minute that one of you is a family member, this is a family, the one minute that one of you is a family member feels like, you know what, is your heart really invested in this? Or if I step on your toes, I want you to say, ouch. I want to hear it from you. I need to hear it from you. I'm not smart enough to read anybody's mind or to have a lock on what's going on in your heart all the time. In fact, the word says I can never know what's going on in your heart. If I'm really, really, really gifted, I might be able to figure out sometimes some of the things that are going on in some of your hearts. That's the best I'll ever do. So let's just assume that this is like a marriage. I can't read your mind. You can't read my heart. So let's talk. That's what I'm talking about, crafting an environment where people around you can tell you the truth because there's only one place that it's worth living and that's in the light. Okay, so Ahab, bad environment. So um, Jehoshaphat says, hold up a minute. Hold up a minute here. Isn't there at least one prophet of the God, the God, we'll say the God of the Bible? Isn't there one of those that we could listen to? Ahab says, yeah, but I don't want to talk to him because they only tell me bad stuff. I don't want to hear from him. He admits (laughs) the point I just made. Jehoshaphat says, I still want to hear. I still got to hear from this. So along comes a guy named Micaiah. This guy was courageous. Now along the way, someone who was handling all of the prophets of Baal and had been sent to go get Micaiah says to him along the way, hey, listen, just tell the king that everything's going to be okay. Tell the king everything's going to be okay. His answer is, I'll tell him what the Lord tells me to say. Now, if you follow this along, well, first off, I want to point out, the counsel that this guy was getting from this ungodly handler of priests, which is a title I just made up, the the counsel he was getting was completely to do this. Conform yourself to the world. Romans 12, 2 tells us a little different than that. It says, don't be conformed to the world. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That doesn't mean you can't be like the world in many ways. I like to go through the drive-thru at Starbucks because I don't have to get out of my car. So I get in a line. I'm conformed to the line. I mean, there's nothing evil about doing things the way that the world does. But that's not being conformed in the world. And you know when it's happening to you. You know when somebody says, hey, let's fill in the blank. And I think the first time that somebody in my life said, hey, let's fill in the blank. And uh, I thought, oh, I don't know about that. I was a little guy. And it's never stopped. It doesn't stop. And I probably have your advantage over that because most of the time I'm hanging around with Christians. I'm just around Christians all the time. I've been a leader in a large church. I lead leaders. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of them saying, hey, let's go rob a bank. (laughs) No, maybe you don't either, okay? But there's something, and there are those opportunities, and you just have to decide whether or not you're going to conform. Just have to make that decision. Now, I want to point something. Honey, I need my Bible. 
I'm using my iPad to preach from up there, but I don't have this in my notes. Um, I want to take you to a spot here in Second uh, Chronicles. This isn't in our text, but there's, there's this really odd thing in the Word of God. It's, on, it's in chapter 18. You might want to follow this because if you read it alone by yourself sometime, you'll go, hey, what's going on here? So uh, the guy says, I'm in verse 13, Second um, Chronicles 18, verse 13. And Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, whatever my God says, that I will say. Then he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? And he said, go and prosper, and they shall be delivered into your hand. Hmm. So the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear to me that, that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Then he said, I saw all Israel. And he goes on, and he says, don't go, you're going to die. Now, what's going on here? Sounds like he's doing a 180. I wanted to point that out to you because I think when you see something in the Word of God that seems to be a contradiction, camp out right there. There's always something going on there that is really illuminating if you can figure it out. This is not a contradiction. And this is like email. Have you ever sent an email to somebody and you, um, you were trying to reconcile something, confront something, or deal with something, and then you realize after the fact that what you sent was little data bits, there's no feeling involved, there's no expression that says, I'm smiling when I say this, um, or maybe you accidentally had your caps lock key on and they come back and they think you're mad at them. Um, okay, so when you read the Word of God... You, you, sometimes when you don't study just underneath the surface, you can be confused. This is not him doing a 180. Here's what Micaiah said. Then he came to the king, and the king said, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead? And he said, go and prosper. They'll be delivered into your hands. It was sarcasm. It was reproof. You can tell that by the next paragraph. So the king said, how many times do I make you swear that you... You got to tell me the truth. No, you tell me the truth. He knew that he wasn't serious. And... And uh, Micaiah was pointing out to him, you don't want to know the truth. You're not looking for the truth here. You want to hear the truth, I'll tell you the truth. And he goes on and he tells him. I wanted to point that out because I think when you're studying the word of God and you see something that seems to be an absolute contradiction, that's a great place to study. Here, sweetie. Thank you. I don't mean to make you jump up like that. It's not that I'm not, I don't use the Bible. I've probably got 20 versions in here. Is that okay? Is that right? <sighs> okay. So um, he says this. He says, Ahab, you will not prevail. You're going to die. Now, this is the second time that a prophet of the Lord has said to, to Ahab, you're going to die. The guy's in trouble. And it really takes, ter- takes terrific courage to speak truth to power. He ends up being imprisoned by this king. The king's so evil. Now, I want to uh, unpack this a little bit. And um, so we're going to now go through... Um, a few points, and we're going to go through this quickly, okay? This is all, almost going to be like quick fire challenge, you know, where you, does anybody watch Top Chef, quick fire challenge? Okay, so it's, you get, you know, 10 minutes to cook something. So we're going we're gonna to move quickly now through a number of scriptures. I've never heard of Top Chef. We don't watch that at our house. <laughs> you can tell I watch Top Chef. I, anyway. Okay. Now, you know that there are some parallels between the books of Kings and Chronicles. Sometimes the same stories are going on in, in different chapters at the same time. Okay, So I'm going to jump over back and forth a little bit with some of these scriptures to the same parallel circumstances. 1 Kings 22. Um, so the king died. They go, here's what happens. They go to battle. And um, 
some, some, a lot of stuff happens there. The King Ahab was conniving. He, um, <laughs> he was conniving and he really set Jehoshaphat up. Jehoshaphat was going to die in his behalf. It doesn't work out. And the word of God says that an archer pulled uh, and shot in one translation, I think the New King James, it says at random. If you study the word, it says the archer shot with completeness or perfection. The arrow went and it went right through the armor joints and it pierced the king. And it was a mortal blow. It wasn't instantaneous, but it was a mortal blow. So off he goes in his chariot. They prop him up. He watches some of the battle and he ultimately dies on the battlefield. Now this is, this is nowhere near Samaria, his king, where his, where his uh, palace is. This is somewhere out on the battlefield. Remember? Remember about the dogs and Naboth's field, which was right next to the palace? Okay. But he's somewhere else. He dies in his chariot. So the king died and was brought to Samaria. Now, remember that at this point, you couldn't touch a dead person or their blood or you'd be unclean in their tradition and in their, 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 um, their way of living, their life. So they brought him and the, the, the chariot I'm sure the chariot was a mess. Sorry. And they buried the king in Samaria. Then, here's what it says in verse 38. Someone washed the chariot at a pool in Samaria. You can be sure that they took that chariot outside the city because the blood that would have washed out of there would have been unclean. And anyone who would have happened to walk along would have been walking along in a place. It's okay, we love children. But thank you for your sensitivity. Wow, two cries, that was something. We love that little one. You take good care of her. Um, so you couldn't, you, you wouldn't want to clean the chariot inside the city because the, excuse me for being graphic, but the blood would be there and if somebody stepped on it inadvertently, they were ceremonial and unclean. So the sensitive thing to do was you take the chariot outside the city walls and this guy rinsed it out. Someone washed the chariot at a pool in Samaria and the dogs licked up the blood while the, where the, har- while the harlots bathed according to the word which he had spoken. Isn't it amazing that when Elisha prophesied, it wasn't just, you're going to die, but you're going to die, and your blood is going to be licked by the dogs in the same place that Naboth's blood was. You know, when you take prophetic words in the Bible and believe them literally, to be literally true, not figuratively, but literally true, you will find that they illuminate the word of God. You just find that. Um, we're going to talk about that a little bit more next week. We've got some fun stuff to look at. Life lesson one, center yourself in the light or you're going to get hurt in the dark. Choose to live in an environment of light and truth. I'm supposed to be going faster than this. I told you this was quick fire. I'm not doing it. So we're going to quick fire a little faster than that. So now Jehoshaphat takes off from the battle too. He was almost killed, but he gets away. And as he's arriving back home, Jehu was another prophet. And Second Chronicles 19 says this, and Jehu the prophet went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, should you help the wicked and love those who hate God? Therefore, the strife of the Lord is upon you. Now, Jehoshaphat was in a string of kings who chose to trust, instead of trusting God, trust the counsel of the ungodly. Here he is listening and going to war because these, in spite of the fact that the prophet of God said, don't go, you'll die. He still goes to battle with four, because the 400 prophets of Baal said so. He's still listening to the wrong voices. Here's the problem. People who seek spiritual counsel from godless places are vulnerable to the plans and the schemes 
of those lying spirits. And here's the problem with when you, when you put yourself in that place. Lying spirits don't have any good intentions for you. They're not planning to bless you in some way. They're not trying to fool you into some good thing that's going to happen. There is always something different about lying spirits. They want to take you to a place of destruction. They want to blow up your marriage. They want to steal your money. They want to ruin your health. They want to discourage your heart. They want to break your heart. That's, I'm not supposed to say that in a Sunday morning service because this is supposed to be encouraging, but this is the truth, okay? They want to take you someplace you don't want to go. So listening to the counsel of lying spirits is just an unwise thing. You've got to be careful about the invitations that you give out. And listening can at times be an invitation. Invitation is like permission. You've got to be wise about those kinds of things. But he goes on, Jehu, here's the good part. He goes on to say, Nevertheless, good things are found in you, that you have removed the wooden images from the land and prepared your heart to seek God. The wooden images were, were the asterisk poles and the bales. He removed them. So Jehu then confirms Jehoshaphat. So Jehoshaphat thinks, oh, I messed up again, but God still sees something of worth in me. So he gets his act together again, and he goes out and he starts getting his, his own government straightened out, and he says to the judges, do things right. Don't favor your friends. Don't take bribes. This is serious stuff. The Lord deserves your best here. Second Chronicles 20. Uh, verse 2, then, then some came, so here's what happened after that. Some, some came to Joseph saying, a great multitude is coming against you. Now the scene has changed and now there's another attack coming. Has Jehoshaphat learned faith in the Lord yet still? He's doing really well in some areas, but his faith is still weak. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. It's never too late to get right with God. It's not too late. I, I commend every one of you for being in the house of the Lord today. Some of you are here because you were excited to come. It's Sunday, you know the Lord will meet you and it didn't have anything to do with anything that's happening here. It's because you came to see your king. I commend you for that. Some of you are here because somebody grabbed you and said, you know, you're coming with me to church. Now, I want to confront both of those concepts and say that every person is here by sovereign, the drawing power of the Lord. I don't know how you were motivated, but the Lord wants to draw us in. The Lord wants to take every one of us into a place of closer relationship with him. He wants to take every single one of us into a place of, of, of not being condemned. Because you know the Lord never condemns his children. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Not a little, not a lot, zero. Any math teachers in here, no, zero means none. There's none in it. No condemnation. When you sense condemnation, that's from hell. It's different than conviction. Conviction is something the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts about with the intent of nudging you closer to Jesus. The intent is not to make you feel worse about yourself. The intent is to help you be motivated closer to Jesus. That's conviction. Condemnation is hellish. It needs to be cast off. It needs to be refused and rejected. Like water off a duck. It's hard to do that. Because hell yells and yells and yells sometimes at us about our failures. Second Chronicles 20. O oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we have... Uh, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. 
Now all Judah with their little ones, their wives, and their children stood before the Lord. You know, as I read that, it just um, sobered me because I realized that in my life, the times that I have faced, I've, I've had great victories and wonderful things going on, and the times that I've had to slog through my worst failures, I drug my family there with me. My loved ones go with me. They come with you when you make your decisions. I'm going to let that one just kind of rest. And then another prophet comes along, Jehaziel, and he says, Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's, and you will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. I want to pause the messages for a minute and pray. So, you know, I don't know what battle you came with today, but I just want to say a short prayer. Would you let me do that? Lord, we name the blood of Jesus not as an incantation, not as a magical phrase, because that's not what it is. But we declare the power of the precious blood of the king. And we ask, Lord, for hell's tentacles to be somehow ripped off in the name of Jesus. And we ask for light and life and hope to prevail. So, Lord, where there could be anywhere in this room those who feel a battle brewing, or they're in the middle of it, or they feel like they've been blindsided by someone that they love, or something they were planning or depending upon was, has been assaulted. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we ask for you now, God, to do warfare over your children, that hell would not prevail, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So to our text. So a horde's coming against them, Jehaziel has said, it's going to be okay. God's going to win this battle. So what does Jehoshaphat finally do? So they rose up early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Israel. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. He's finally declaring, establish yourself in God. Believe in the voice of those who speak from God you'll be established and you'll prosper. Then Jehoshaphat anointed people who went out before the army saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Second Chronicles 20, 22. Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against his people, against the people, not his people, the other bad guys, and who had come against Judah and they were defeated. The Lord's action followed their declared faith. Now I want to just... Um, in conclusion, in, in our quick conclusion here, <laughs> unpack that promise because that promise is believe in God and you'll be established, believe in the prophets and you'll prosper. That is not just a promise to Jehoshaphat. That's a promise that you and I have the right to claim to be life-giving truth today. Mm-hmm. Study that out. It's a pretty simple scripture. Believe in the Lord your God and you'll be established. The word believe um, it actually means established. It's um, without getting technical, it's the word amen, from which we get our word amen. It means established, to be established. So the scripture could actually say, establish yourself in God and you will be established. Establish yourself in the voice of God and you will prosper. Let me give, you to that, give that to you one more time. Establish yourself, amen yourself in God, but I don't want to use the amen because that's, That's kind of what we say before we take our first bite, right? It blows past us sometimes. 
It means, you know, I've heard it, it taught to, to mean so be it, and that's an acceptable translation, but literally it says estab- be established. To be established. I don't know why I shake my hands. Be established. Somehow that feels like it's established. It'd be established. <laughs> Establish yourself in God and you will be established. Establish yourself in his ongoing personal voice and you'll prosper. Now I'm not here to tell you Christianity is all love and roses, and if you do this, you'll be driving a caddy, okay? Maybe you will. I don't know. That's not what the scripture says. It says you'll prosper. Therefore, establish yourself in God, you'll be established. Establish yourself in the voice of God, and you'll prosper. Now, I'm going to unpack those two phrases in the next couple of weeks. We're going to talk about, we're going to talk about establish yourself in God, and we're going to stop, talk about establishing yourself in the prophetic voice of God. I'm going to help you know how to do that without getting ensnared in mistakes or things that aren't the voice of God, even if you mean right. We're going to talk about those things. There's this wonderful scripture in Second Chronicles 16, and it characterizes God all of the time. It says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Now, I'm going to take a wild guess and say that this room is full of people who know who God is, but on the off chance that there are some here who know about God but don't have the relationship with God, I want to just pause for a moment and give opportunity because I think every single person in this room has been drawn here by the Spirit of the Lord. And if there's anybody present who does not have a relationship with God, this is, this is an eternal life and death question to be answered. The Word of God says that the day will come and the Lord will open a book and it's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And those whose names are written in there will enter in. How do you get your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Because Jesus writes it. When does he write your name in there? When he becomes your Lord. How does that happen? It doesn't happen by going to church. It doesn't happen by putting money in the offering. It doesn't happen by being a terrific mother, a well-providing father. I'm not trying to be... um, It doesn't happen by those different ways. It happens because of relationship. It happens because a heart opens up and says, I know I, I can't be holy enough. I just will mess up somewhere. There will be some failure in my life. I just can't be holy enough. God knew that. You know the word of God, which I like to hold the Bible up when I say this, which it doesn't look like a Bible, so. The Bible is a handful of chapters about creation. Just a handful, probably less than this, about creation. And then the entire rest of the book is about God's plan, his loving plan to redeem a lost people. That's what the whole rest of the book is about. That's all it's about. There's a lot of details. There's a lot of stories. There are a lot of life lessons. But the whole thing there is God's plan. And that plan is this. He knew you and I could not make it. He just knew it. But God loves so much that he didn't want any one of us to die. So he came up with a plan. He became man in the flesh 
He walked a sinless life. And then he chose. He freely chose to lay his life down. A perfect and complete sacrifice. And to those, oh, one little important detail. Then he defeated the grave. And he rose from the grave on the third day. Top that, you know. That's why people can put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when a person recognizes that they, they, just can't, they just can't be holy enough, but that God loves them and makes a plan, and they say, I'm going to choose that plan, and I'm going to choose that God, and I need him to forgive me, and they open their heart, that's when Jesus says, give me, give me the book, Terry, and my name is written in the book. If your name is not written in the book, if you don't know with certainty that the name, your name is written in the book, why wait? I want to pray. I want to ask everybody to close your eyes because I want to give a place of privacy and say, if you've never opened your heart to the Lord before, I'm not asking you to join the church. I'm new here too, okay? I'm just asking you to open your heart so that eternity can be settled for you. If you've never opened your heart to the Lord, the word says, if you believe with your heart that he came and he died for you, and he rose from the dead. If you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth, then you will be saved. That's what the scripture says. A confession can also be this, where you raise your hand with someone and say, yes, I'm opening my heart to the Lord. That's a confession, and that's all I'm gonna ask. So I'm gonna look across the room, and if you wanna open your heart to the Lord, look at me and just give me a quick hand wave. I'm not gonna embarrass you, I promise. Anyone wanna open their heart to the Lord? Lord, take that loving truth and place it with your perfect fingers where it needs to go. Thank you for doing that, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, um, okay, I want to do something here. Um, before I turn the, um, turn the service back over to Eric, I, I want to just give you a quick peek. I want to do two things. I want to give you a quick peek about next week because I'm going to tell you a little bit about next week's message. I'm going to show you something really cool. Next week, we're going to talk about where did the word of God come from? Why should we trust it? Is it, is it self-proving? Is it a circular argument? Or is there some way that we can know that it's truly the word of God besides the fact that a lot of people over a couple thousand years say so? How do I know? Okay, we're going to talk about that and I'm going to show you something. But before I give you a quick peek about next week, I want to um, say... Um, that you might not know this, but we have a missionary from South Africa <laughs> here. Joylyn Lanshut and her daughter, Abria, are here. And I just am so thankful that you're here. And I bet you someday you come back and share with us about what's going on in your ministry. Would you do that? Yeah? Okay. So I think it's always good when you recognize a leader in the body that you... Um, I'm glad you're here. Shh, quiet, don't talk. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, Loud. I knew uh, Pastor Terry was coming today, and we're here for a month. And um, people have asked me, where did my daughter learn to worship? And Eric, years ago, taught worship and learned how to play the guitar in the junior high youth, and Terry was my pastor. And now my husband and I are missionaries to Africa. And so this is a great honor, and I thank the Lord that we could be here today. 
say, say thank you to Joy Lynn. Thanks, Joy Lynn. Okay, I want to just take a minute and show you something really cool out of the Word of God. And this is, we're going to just dip into next week's message just for a couple of minutes here. Um, I, I, I'm not going to teach on this. I'm going to show you something that's so cool. This should blow your socks off, all right? Now, we're going to look quickly at Genesis chapter 5. You can look at it if you want to. But there is a genealogy there. It's one of the most boring things in the Word of God. So-and-so begat so-and-so who begat so-and-so, right? It's, it's boring. <laughs> it is boring. And the thing is, though, that names are important. Don't you think names are important? Many times in the Scripture, you find out that someone has a specific name because it meant something about them. So I want to just, by chance, just study, just take a minute and look at the first the, the 10 generations from Adam to Noah, and I'm going to show you something. If you haven't seen this before, um, I don't want you to know, I didn't discover this. It's pretty cool, and I love this thing. So, okay, Adam literally means man. Okay, the name Adam means man. He was, his son was Seth. Seth literally means appointed. Okay? Enosh was his son, and that means mortal, which means, you know, they die, right? Mortal. His son was Canaan. Canaan is poor Canaan. His parents named him Sorrow. How would you like that if your parents named you Sorrow? Canaan's son was Mahalalel. Um, if you've heard of the Hallels, they are parts of the uh, Psalms. They're, they're praises to God. Mahalalel means the blessed God. It can mean other things too, but it means the blessed God. Mahalalel had a son named Jared or Yared, and that means shall come down. Kind of a funny name for a kid. Um, Enoch was his son, and that means commencement, or it means teaching. Commencement means, you know, walk over, right? It means teaching. Um, His son was Methuselah. Now, there are two root words here. I know I'm going fast, but you'll like it in a minute. Um, Death and to bring. So the two root words added together create a sentence. It means death shall bring. And then his son was Lamech, which comes from lamentation. It means despairing. It's sad. And then Noah, we all who Noah is, he, his name literally means comfort or to bring relief. Now, um, before the next slide goes up, I want to I make this comment. In the English language, we have articles, the, a, right, okay? We string words together by adding articles to make it make sense in English. They're not there in the original Hebrew. Um, but if you take these 10 names and you string them together in order and make a sentence out of the meanings of their names, you get this. Where's my sparkles? Here comes my sparkles. Okay. Okay, I'm going to read the sentence, adding some articles from the top to the bottom. Man, appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down, teaching that his death shall bring the despairing comfort. Yeah. Leave that up there for a second. (laughs) Now, Genesis was written by a Jew, tended over by, for thousands of years by Jewish rabbis, by a faith that de- denies that Jesus is the Messiah. Are you telling me that you think that they conspired thousands of years before Jesus was born to write their first 10 names in a sentence that declares the gospel story? What are the chances of that? How likely is it that that it actually could make a sentence? Now listen, keep me honest. Check me out. You can study these names. It's easy to verify whether this is true or not. No one in in the Jewish faith denies those are the names. None of them deny those are what the names mean. And some great scholar, I don't even know who figured this out, just thought, well, if I string them together, I'm going to see a sentence. 
The Word of God is riddled, riddled with things like that that I believe are the holy thumbprint of the Almighty God. So next week, we're going to unpack why we can believe the Word of God. This is a little taste. Um, And so, hey, I want to say thank you for your grace. I also want to say to you, um, regulars, people who were attending here last week, (laughs) (laughs) sorry somebody was sitting in your chair when you came today. And to the many, um, many friends and guests who have come because you just love, thank you. There are guests here than friends that are here. I know some of you will be back again, and I'm glad for that too. But I especially want to say to, the, to you regulars, thank you for your gracious hospitality when you came, and your parking spot and your seat were both taken. It's a good thing to be in the house of the Lord with brothers and sisters. Amen? Amen. Well, would you stand to your feet? And Eric, you probably have some wonderful song you're going to lead us in, right? I just think we need to declare this morning. In a moment, you'll get to go meet Pastor Terry out uh, side the, the front door or back in the fellowship.